Welcome back to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. This week, I'm going to share my story and journey through BPD. This should be interesting. I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. I met my first boyfriend when I was in high school. Um, I met him online in the AOL chat rooms, which I find to be so funny. (laughs) In the Nickelodeon dial-up AOL chat room. Um, So anyway, I, of course, like any other teenage girl, fell madly in love with this kid. And we dated all throughout high school. And I mean, the crazy thing was my parents as strict as they were they're pretty strict they were very supportive of my relationship with this kid so they would drive me he lived about a half an hour away from me in the city of philadelphia and i lived in the suburbs and they would drive me every weekend back and forth to see him now of course you know i wasn't the easiest teenager even before all of the emotional stuff happened um so i'm sure like i would tantrum I know I would or get upset when they wouldn't drive me but it was a lot you know I saw this kid uh, every weekend for maybe three years so I was really into him and I really thought that this was going to be the person that I married that I spent the rest of my life with and at the beginning of my senior year in high school he I had found out that he cheated on me with several people like he went to California and he cheated on me with the daughter of the singer of this band that we were really into and well anyway it was just awful it was devastating and I just remember when he tried to break up with me I we were on the phone and he hung up the phone and I just kept calling back repeatedly like over and over and over again and that was the first time where I had what I call consider now to be a BPD episode so we can't we can't really also I should say it's important not to get me on semantics because I will say things that sometimes you know are not like uh let's say politically correct and I don't mean to do that When I say BPD episode, it's my version of that, which was just this like intense feeling of sadness. I just didn't know what to do. I was, it was as if I had lost, lost someone, like there was a death. And so I just started screaming and crying and I kept calling him over and over and over again. I mean, his mother answered the phone. They unplugged the phone. It was bad. They called my parents. It was bad. And I went downstairs and I remember, you know, I wasn't very close to my father, but at that time, like I'm his daughter. So he like held me. I just sat on his lap and I just cried. And it was so life changing, life altering and heartbreaking for me. I mean, teenagers, they break up with boyfriends, girlfriends all the time. But for me, you know, it was like somebody had killed my life partner and then a part of me that's how intense this breakup had felt so that was like the final straw for me emotionally it really set me over the edge and made me withdraw into this deep dark place I didn't 
I had never thought that someone could lie like that. I never wrapped my mind around the idea that someone could be openly deceptive to you. Um, I also didn't have any skills. I mean, to be honest with you, I had no idea how to deal with what had happened to me. Like I said before, people get broken up with all the time, right? And, you know, you get sad, but, you know, you don't look for ways to hurt yourself, usually. But me, I had zero way to deal with it. My parents, they tried the best that they could with what they knew, but they didn't know how to help me through it. So I was into punk rock at the time, and I just started listening to really sad music. I remember one time on the bus stop, I met this girl who really liked Dashboard Confessional. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that, but some of those songs on his on Chris Caraba's first CD became the book that, or the guide that led me through the depression I was having. So I was trying to figure out how to take away that sadness and all I found was more sadness so it was so validating to hear like this guy sing about how heartbreak can feel and how just painful emotions can be so instead of finding ways that would help me and finding positivity and seeking out skills and learning how to regulate my emotions. I didn't do any of that. I spent a lot of time with headphones on, listening to Dashboard Confessional, crying over and over and over again. The same song would just play. I started cutting myself. I was just depressed. Um, so yeah, I was hospitalized around that time in a local mental health facility for suicidal ideations and oddly enough it was the safest place I had ever been there were rules and consistency and just people got it people understood the pain that I was going through I wasn't there for very long because I had a good family and I was able to be discharged after a few days I mean, they put me on a lot of meds, right? They do that. But it was definitely the beginning of a really long journey for me out of this pit of darkness. The rest of my senior year of high school was kind of a blur. Like I said, I spent a lot of time listening to emo and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I had no interest in doing anything. Um, after I felt that level of pain, I didn't want to go to college, but... That's the path that my family wanted me to take. So I played clarinet at the time. So I ended up going to school in Philadelphia at Temple University as a clarinet performance major, which is, you know, funny because that's that wasn't even something that I was into. I was into it, and I was a pretty decent clarinet player. I was okay. But it was never something I was passionate about. I didn't have passions. The only thing that I had been passionate about was this kid, this boyfriend. And now the only thing that I was passionate about, you know, at that time was listening to the same dashboard confessional song over and over again. Because again, I had no skills. And like all people with borderline personality disorder, I have a hyperbolic temperament. So I feel and live in a big hyperbole. 
So I was, I ended up, you know, was lucky enough to be accepted into the Esther Boyer College of Music at Temple University for clarinet, but I just didn't really fit in anywhere. I was impulsive. I was freshman year of college. I was pretty fat, say overweight. And I didn't, I didn't have self-discipline like the other people in the music program. I didn't have a lot of executive functioning skills, organization, planning, impulse control. I missed social cues. So I was sort of weeded out in the music program, not by my ability to play the clarinet, but socially. I didn't have friends. I remember um, one time we were all like everyone on the floor that I lived on in the dorm that I lived in, they were having this pizza party and it was all the music majors and I lived on a co-ed floor. And this one guy who also played clarinet, his name was Carlos. I'll never forget. This is one of those moments where somebody says something to you and it sticks with you forever, right? So he, we were eating pizza and you know I was pretty blind to all these things I'm telling you guys about now. I had no idea that people didn't like me or they thought I was too intense. I just, I was so intense that my intensity overshadowed everyone else's opinions and everyone else's like worldview. So imagine I'm sitting there in this party eating pizza with these kids and I have no idea that I'm intense. I'm just happy and I'm pretty, like I said, impulsive and intense. So I'm like maybe dancing around, jumping around and Carlos takes a napkin and he starts to blot the grease on his pizza. And he says, I say, well, I said to him, why are you doing that? That's the best part. I was joking. I was fat. I was overweight. I wasn't fat. I was, you know, chubby. I was overweight. And he looks me dead in the face and he goes, well, we all don't want to look like you, Rose. And it was like some people chuckled. And it was just dead silence. And I remember that feeling that I had felt during that breakup had come rushing back to me. I just felt I was devastated. I ended up doing I would, same, the same thing. I wanted to do anything I could to get rid of that feeling of, un, of discomfort, of emotional pain. So I ended up having an eating disorder. Are you tired of feeling frustrated, resentful, or disconnected from your family, friends, and partner? Thrive Mind Body LLC Mindset Coaching and Counseling can help you. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. Again, that's thriveonlinecounseling.com. And receive 10% off your first session pack with coupon code THRIVE10. See you then. I developed Hashimoto's hypothyroiditis when I was around nine years old, and I had seen endocrinologists throughout my life. The, my most recent visit to the endocrinologist, the doctor told me that the medicine I was taking at the time, Synthroid, had a half-life of, you know, I can't remember, 
off the top of my head right now. But basically, I didn't like taking the medication. I barely took it when I was a kid. And the doctor was trying to explain to me that it's really important that you take this medication. It's life-sustaining. So he was saying, like, if you take it a day, you know, it only lasts for this long in your system. But I twisted that around because now I wanted to lose weight. And I decided that I was just going to take a ton of thyroid medication to see what would happen. So in a way, it was like punishment, but it was also just, it started out as an experiment after the whole Carlos pizza incident. So I got really sick, needless to say, because I got, I ended up becoming very thin and I wasn't you know, thin in the way that you'd see it in some anorexia documentary. I was thin in a way that was unhealthy because I had been taking, you know, a lot of thyroid hormone. And when you have hyperthyroidism, that's just as dangerous as having, you know, hypothyroidism. So I was just putting a lot of wear and tear on my body. And I was doing this for years before I got treatment for this eating disorder. I ended up getting treatment because I was, I had some heart palpitations and I felt really sick. So I was medically unstable and I needed to be admitted to an eating disorder treatment facility. So I spent some time in the Renfrew Center of Philadelphia. I actually spent I had several stays there, and I also was inpatient at Belmont Hospital in Philadelphia for eating disorder issues. After my first stay in Renfrew, though, I wanted to be a chronic Renfrew patient. I loved Renfrew. The people there, the women, they got me. They understood me. I had friends. (laughs) It was like this awesome place to hang out. So it was around that time, I'm sure, that the psychiatrist there, sweet woman, she probably diagnosed me with borderline personality disorder, um, just like in the time that I was there. But no one ever told me. All I knew is that I liked it whenever I was impatient because I liked the camaraderie. I liked that there were people there like me. I liked that the people there, they all, they knew my pain, they knew my suffering, and then we could connect on something. I didn't know how to be vulnerable. I didn't know how to connect with people. So that's what I did. And I did well in treatment, I'd say. I ended up switching majors from clarinet performance to psychology and I graduated from Temple with a bachelor's degree in psychology, bachelor's of the arts and I was working after I had gotten out of Renfrew for the last time I was working with kids with autism. I loved doing that work but it just wasn't paying enough And I wanted to do more. I wanted to open a facility for individuals with autism at the time. So I started prepping to go into a doctoral program for psychology. For the first time in my life, I had a sense of purpose and drive. I would have done anything to get into a doctoral program. So I started right on studying I wanted to skip the master's degree in psychology so that I could go right into the clinical psychology program. So I took the GRE. 
as a requirement to get in, and I didn't do well at all. And I thought to myself, man, what am I going to do? How am I going to get into this program and get, you know, build this life for myself? So I did something I had never done before. I bought a GRE book at Barnes and Noble, and I spent hours in my room studying for this GRE until I understood the math and I understood the verbal, and I ended up doing well. Um, I was accepted into a PsyD, which is a clinical training program, um, a doctoral program at LaSalle University, and I was just over the moon so happy. I was so proud of myself. It was a really awesome time in my life. Um, about a year and a half into this program, I had been working hard and studying a lot. It was difficult for me because like I had said, I mentioned earlier, I didn't have executive skills, executive functioning skills. So everything that we had to do was really intense. There was a lot of reading, a lot of analytical thinking, which was incredibly difficult for me. I was an emotional-minded emotional minded person. And there was also just the social aspect of things, so it was tough. I ended up going out with a friend from high school and her friends for a bachelorette party. I conceived my son that evening or sometime around then. Um, so yeah, I got pregnant in that program. And I still didn't have very good skills. I was better equipped for the world then, I would say, after having clients and having courses about what it's like to be a therapist and, you know, just so many psychopathology courses. I was better equipped to handle pregnancy at the time, but not as equipped as I would have liked to be. I ended up staying in the doctoral program and not doing the practicum or internship part of it, but doing all of the coursework because I just wanted so badly. I I was holding on. I want, I had worked so hard to get into that program and I, I wasn't incapable of expressing my emotions. I couldn't be vulnerable. So I just went to administration and, you know, and I didn't tell them, you know, everything that was going on with me. I just kept kind of going through the motions while I was pregnant and, you know, I had my son. People ask me a lot if I would go back to that doctoral program to finish. It's an interesting question. And I think the answer continues to be no over the years. See, something I didn't mention before is that when I became pregnant with my son, I started living with my son's father. And I, you know, I had made impulsive decisions, and so I didn't barely even knew this guy, right? And I start cohabitating with him, and he is abusive. So throughout this time in our relationship, he had a whole other life. He was married. I mean, he had like cell phones for different women. He, you know, was, yeah, pretty emotionally and also physically abusive. So during the, my time in the doctoral program, I actually had to get a PFA and 
you know, I was, I had a protection from abuse in place for about a year and a half after the birth of my son. And that happened while I was in this program. And it really speaks to my inability to be vulnerable because not once did I go and tell the professors who I knew fairly well that this was happening with me and ask them for support or guidance. I just tried to keep getting extensions so that I could stay in the program. But the American Psychological Association, they only allow you seven years. So I wasn't going to make that seven-year mark um, to, to remain in the program. I, was, I had stayed in the program for just way too long. And I, will, I didn't have that skill of being vulnerable and saying, hey, you know, these blackboard posts are really difficult because not only am I pregnant, but... I decided to live with this guy and he's abusive. Oh, and I was in court the other day. It just, it would have been awesome if I spoke my mind, but I won't go back now. And I'm okay with that. I did finish my degree in the master's program at LaSalle. Um, and I received my master's degree in counseling psychology. And that's how I became an LPC, a licensed professional counselor. All right, so I think I'm going to reserve the rest of my story and the overcoming part of things for next episode. Thank you so much for listening in. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. We'll have all those links in the show description. Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.